0: What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? You know I crack up. When, if you've watched the show before, you see the opening, and I'm usually smiling because those images and that video in the opening were some of the best times of my freaking life, and I remember that. And I don't live in the past. You hear me say it all the time. The wake does not drive the boat. But those are good times, there's the goosebumps. You see them every week, because I get fired up. I get fired up and excited about living life, and that is why I do this show. So thank you so much for tuning in today. I am Gerald Valley, and this is The Drop In, coming at you from NRM Studios here in Farmington Hills, Michigan, and it is such an honor and a blessing for me to be in front of this camera right now. Today is show 26. It is the last show of season number one, and I couldn't have imagined this any, I mean, I couldn't. The, the whole thing has been sort of surreal. I mean, people are listening in over 29 countries to this show. We are uh, over 100,000 total listens, and that is incredible to me. Truly phenomenal. Because when I started this, when this whole deal went down, I had no expectations. And, and I do that on purpose so that I'm not let down because I have a tendency to set the bar high, really high. And I spent a lot of my life with every accomplishment that I have had. I set the bar so high that I looked at myself as I was a failure because I didn't reach it. And it didn't matter if it was hockey, if it was skateboarding, if it was writing a book, making a TV show. You know, I set the bar so high. And so I just let myself down every time in my head, in my head. And I choose not to do that today. So I don't have any expectations. And oh my word, under promise, over deliver. It's pretty simple. And this show is living proof that it works. So thank you guys for being here today. And this is the drop-in. I'm so, so excited to bring you episode 26. Because, you know, in today's world, uh, you click on the news and all you see is complete utter disaster the majority of the time. That's, that's what we see. I don't even turn on the news. I haven't turned on the news in years because all it does is bring me down. That's all it does. So I don't even look at the news. I really don't pay attention to uh, social media news. You know, I do my posts and that's about it. I check out what my friends are doing because most of my friends are upbeat and fired up about living life. So I like that. I, I want the momentum. And that's why we do this show is to carry that through these airwaves to you. The positive momentum. But it isn't always super positive. It just is isn't. And today's guest, I, I'm, I'm actually super uh, interested to hear her story because six feet over, when I saw that logo, it was, I don't know, maybe five years ago. I don't even know when I first saw it, but there's a big sticker on my fridge in my house. It says six feet over because I'm like, that's rad. I've been dead a few times uh, by personal decisions sometimes, but by accident other times, I'm like, that's really cool. And I didn't understand what exactly it was, but I thought it was cool. So it's on my fridge, and I bought a shirt, and that shirt's about wore out, so you can see I have a new one, got a new one this year at Dally in the Alley, because I'm like, that's a rad graphic, that's something I would draw. and. The company as a whole just has a cool vibe. A cool, uh, the graphics are cool. The the people, if you see their booths out around town, I uh, like I said at the Dally in the Alley this year, just awesome folks to talk to, and, and buttons, and cool ways to support it. And I wanted to know what it was, and when I started digging in a little bit, it wasn't what I thought it was. You know, I, I'm thinking, you know, prevent suicide and 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 that kind of a thing, but. Uh, six feet behind. And that's rad. In a past show, I had a gentleman named Mike Rogers on, and he does Grind for Life, and that's the kind of stuff he does for families affected by cancer. And I thought, wow, Mike I need to know more about this. So I sent out an email, and Katie got right back with me. She said, I'd love to do the show, Gerald. That would be Awesome. That would be awesome. So, Hardy, Katie, thank you for being here today.
1: Oh, I'm, I'm, I love being here. You're like, you're great at this. Talk today about me. Yeah. Because you it, made me feel that way.
0: It's all about <laughs> you today, and that's, uh, that's what this show is about. And I, I love what I do. I really do. I get, I get excited. Degrees or 20 degrees. Mm-hmm. Uh, people have said, "Dude, I see those goosebumps. That's strange." Because I'm passionate about what I do. Oh and yeah, me
1: too. I get it. I
0: totally get it. And and you're here today. Uh, Your company really stood out to me years ago, years ago. And I think the first time I ever saw Six Feet Over might have been at the Majestic, maybe, or somewhere. I was at a punk show or something, and I'm like, take my money. Take my, ma- I want a button. I want this. I want that. I want this. I want that. And I, you know, you I, are
1: exactly the person that we were made for. <laughs>
0: but it's it's just
1: rad mantra.
0: It's it's just a rad rad thing. Oh, and thanks. and so I'm I'm honored. I'm honored to have you here. And and for you all at home or wherever you're listening to this show, for get involved with what she's doing. The story's incredible, phenomenal. Make sure you do not turn the channel. <laughs> that
1: overpromising thing. I don't know.
0: <laughs> no, it is. Your story is serious. Seriously, good time. And I know we're talking about a very su- uh, tough subject, but we're going to have doing it. So, without too much more, I want to know
1: where did you grow up? I'm from Livonia, Michigan. I uh, grew up there from the. Well, I, I lived in Detroit until I was five. Um, started first grade there, graduated from there, moved to Denver though when I was 19 and moved back shortly after. But, yeah. I'm from Livonia. It's quite,
0: quite a different vibe in Denver, huh?
1: Yeah, very much so. You no, know, Livonia is where I was born and raised, and I, I, as much as I hated the city growing up, I live there now as a parent. I'm like, that's not a bad city. Um, also, I realized now as an adult, and like all the people that I know who are also in like. The same kind of stuff still, you know, we were talking earlier about a lot of our musician friends and our promoter friends and a lot of friends that like just do bartending and all sorts of cool stuff in in Detroit and the surrounding areas. A lot of them are from the same really rad, talented people. So I wouldn't have it any other way, actually.
0: Yeah, yeah, we were talking about... Uh, the people that have grown up around you mm-hmm. and, and we have some common dude works like 500 hours a day I know like he I don't know how he does it. He's he keeps saying uh, gee. I'm gonna come on the show We're gonna have mm-hmm. a good time and I don't we can't figure it out B but he also Grew up in the same area as you and yeah. what a cool deal to see that kind of music coming yeah. up and progressing
1: there is this uh, place it's <laughs> There's a share schools on a certain side of West and Livonia, which is the side I grew up on, uh, Joy Road is the cutoff for it. So on one side of Joy Road, there was this place when I was younger. It was, it was called Pharaoh's Golden Cup, and I mean, like, I saw the raddest, most ridiculous bands play there, and. Uh. It, like insane band, they go to a dumb coffee shop. Well, one, they didn't serve coffee. They had a coffee pot, but it never was on. Uh, you could get water <laughs> in bottles, and that was pretty much it. It was a complete shit show, but it was where everybody went. It was the cool place to go, and it was the only place for us to go. So it was like I would run into people that I never thought I would ever run into, and people have come out of there and had very successful careers. I'm pretty sure like walls of Jericho played that. yeah, I remember
0: seeing them at some of the most random hole- in the wall places. Yeah.
1: and I'm friends with Aaron, and i I could probably ask him. but like, I have I have old flyers that I found from like Mr. Mugs and Ypsilanti. To go, it was really cool.
0: Yeah, that area uh, is it, it brought up some great talent. You know, mm-hmm. not only Navarro, but there's a bunch of bunch of different people that have come out of Livonia. It, it was a great time, uh, especially you know at that time coming up in the music scene here in the Metro Detroit area. Mm-hmm. So many bands were playing basements one weekend and doing this, and next thing you know, you know, you fast forward five years, and they're selling 100,000 records, or they're yeah. touring, or you hear them on a TV commercial, and you're yeah. like,
1: I just saw them. I like, just saw s- them, and there was like six people at the show. What happened? <laughs> <Right. Yeah. laughs>
0: but people, when they're living passionately, I talk about common consciousness. When you get a group of people with a similar mindset, mm-hmm. amazing things happen. Oh, yeah. Phenomenal things happen. I totally Eight- agree. And, um, and and we see it every day. We see it every day. Uh, sometimes you have to explain it to people and put it in their face, and then they go, boom. Like you see a light yeah. bulb goes up, and they're like, no way. You know, there might be something to that, Mr. Valley. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, there is something to that. You think? Um, but so growing up in Labonia, do you have brothers, sisters? How was that?
1: Uh, I have an older brother. He's a, he's a man of few words, but he's he's like ridiculous smart. He's like Jeopardy smart. Um. <laughs> I mean, I got the looks in the family. I'm just going to say that. But I'm not I'm not a dumb person by any means. But my brother is like on a whole nother level. He's the guy you want doing trivia with you. His name is Craig Simpson, if anybody knows him. Um, he's a pretty all right guy. He works for The Man now. So I don't know, as like a, a punk rocker, <laughs> I'm kind of like, you work for The Man. You have an office job. You work for Social Security. How? 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 How did that happen? We all got to pay the bills, somehow. yeah, no, he's doing good. He actually really likes his job, so i'm not I'm not gonna try to dog on him too much, but, you know, uh, yeah, I grew up with an older brother. I lived with my mom and dad growing up. and uh, I don't know. like it was <laughs> I was a weird kid, like really weird. I didn't have I didn't have like an actual best friend or like somebody who I was really close to until I was like, Thirteen or fourteen. Uh, before then, it was people would kind of try to get to know me, and they'd be like, "Too much for me. Too much. I'm s- I'm taking a break. I can't." Uh, so uh, there was a lot of like life foreshadowing. I almost feel like people are writing a book about me. and I don't even know it, and it sounds bananas, like, but like
0: the Truman Show, somebody secretly kinda, watching.
1: I don't know. Just like the choices I made as a kid. Like I wore whatever the crap I wanted. One of my favorite pictures is uh, me wearing a bedazzled sport coat and tie. Sweet. And I had. A very uh, Ellen DeGeneres reminiscent like haircut at the time. I was like nine. Yeah, it's it was per- it's great. And then because I didn't have friends, I would just do weird shit and use my imagination. But I've always had like this weird empathy for death. And I would find dead animals laying on the street, not looking for them, but I would just find them. And a lot of people would just pass them by, and I would always feel really bad that they, like, you know, that's sad. So I would pick them up with my bare ass hands because <laughs> I was a child. Nobody told you you couldn't. No, nobody said like that's probably not a good idea. Um, I knew not to touch baby birds, which apparently is a myth. But you know, dead things, it's fine. (laughs) Go right ahead. And I would, I had like a little weird burial ground in the back of some dentist office on Joy Road, and I would bury them, and I'd make little headstones and stuff, and I'd be like, I'm so sorry that you died. I care. Yeah. And now I deal with funerals and stuff. Only here. Only
0: here on the drop-in. You're welcome. (laughs) Can you hear that story? (laughs) Can you hear that story? Wow. I love it. I love it because the stories of people's lives, of how they got from point A to point B, and there's A1, A2, A3, A4, and there's like 47 stops along that way. Oh, there's so many stops. Is, a, is, the, you know, is what this show does. Yeah. We tell that story, and, and that's where we're starting. Exactly, in Labonia, Michigan, mm-hmm. here on the drop-in from the NRM studios. Now, in '03, you had a, a life-changing uh, year.
1: Oh yeah. Uh, 2003 is when, um, well, one, my I'm going to back up just a little bit. So part of my upbringing was growing up with somebody who had a really severe mental illness, which was my mom. So even though I was really awkward with other kids, I was also picked on at home. When my mom was not doing well, I was her target, and I was too fat, I was too ugly. Nobody was ever going to like me. Craig was smart and I was dumb. Um, and then on her great days, she was fantastic. There, there was really no gray area. She was either the worst ever. She was a complete asshole. It, it created like a, a really weird kind of way that I saw myself. Like I'm great, but I'm also the worst. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. And as I got older, I liked a lot with your parents, but with my mom, it became if something went missing, it was my fault. If something went wrong in her life, it was my fault. Just drained me. Mm -hmm. Um, I had to do self-affirmations in my mirror, stuff that kids shouldn't have to do. So, when I was in high school, my mom actually attempted suicide several times, but my brother hid it from me because he's a dick, but he's also a phenomenal brother. And he was a protective force for me. To me, that was awful. He would be the first one to be like, no, she's wrong. You're You're all good. You're fine. And then
0: a good big brother. A
1: good big brother. I mean, he was little, so he couldn't really protect me, but he could chug and still a man of very few words. That's, I I know that that's how he shows his love. So in high school, I would be working, or I would go to Pharaoh's and come home, (laughs) or I'd go to Silverman's for coffee where everybody else hung out. And, uh, you know, my brother would just be like, Yeah, she's not doing great. You should leave. And I would just take off again. And, what I didn't know is that, like, she had some serious shit going on. Like, she was talking about trying to die, or she attempted, and I had an uncle coming over, EMS was on its way. So, he wanted to protect me from that side. Cause I re- he, I think in his mind, I was already dealing with too much. One of the only people who could calm her down a little bit, which is a lot for somebody to handle. He's only 14 months older than me. So, he's my older brother, but not that much older. So, he- young age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that, that was a lot for him. Um, so yeah, she attempted several times. So January of '03, my dad left. He should have. I mean, it was bound to happen. I'm surprised it took so long. And then my brother joined the Coast Guard and went to, um, I don't say it anymore. And then uh, I couldn't handle being in the home alone with her. So I was like, I'm off to Denver, bitches. Peace. <laughs> I can't be here. <laughs> so I was like, Denver sounds great. My mom was August 8th of 2003. I have pictures of the very last hug and kiss I ever had with her. And I just drove away, and then that following November, I'd said that she died. Nobody told me how she died.
0: Wow, wow, it's you know, all I kept thinking about is eggshells, you know, and, and walking on eggshells Constantly. every single day of your life. Yeah, and and that it's a tightrope, and that. At that age, at that part of your life, just living is hard enough. The, the uh, emotional changes you're going through, the friends at school, the, mm-hmm. the huge steps you're making there are hard enough for anybody. But then to come home to your safe place and have to walk on eggshells or have your brother meet you at the door and say, not a good time. Find someplace else yeah. to be. That had to be a nightmare day in, day out.
1: Oh, it was it was really, really hard because I didn't ever know who I was coming home to. I could come home to, like, the coolest mom, or I could come home to somebody who literally had the voice of Satan sometimes, wow. and uh, ah, it really messed with your head, but I had a safe place. It just wasn't my house, and it wasn't school. It was, like, around all the musicians and the artists and everybody else that I knew. So if anything happened, I would go to Pharaoh's. If anything happened, I'd go to Silverman's. If anything happened, I would go to the places that I felt like people would listen to me and that they actually loved me,
0: yeah. and
1: they were consistent.
0: The punk rock culture is like that, you know. We get a little bit it's of a, a family. bad, uh, yeah. We get a little bit of a bad rap mm-hmm. just because uh, the way it was through the '90s and the 2000s. But now, like I'm an older person, you're an older person. We still have the friends. We can call it any time of the day or night. Oh yeah. And they were the friends that we made when we were in ninth grade and we were in seventh grade or oh, eighth yeah. grade or at shows at, uh, you know, uh, on the University of Detroit campus or, <laughs> yeah. you know, different places like that.
1: Some garage in the middle of Detroit. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it's such
0: a thick, thick yeah. friendship. And, and the unity is amazing. And I think it's because we were all a little bit different. Yeah. And, and we accepted each other for who we were at that time.
1: Yeah. We, we were all a little fucked up. And... Mm. You know, this is the community that has always been like, "No, you're good." Yeah, right? Come on over. Right. Oh, you played with dead things? Come on over. It's fine. Right. <laughs> yeah, they 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 thought it was great. Yeah. Hysterical. I tell normal like normal people this and they're like, "Oh, that's fucked up." Yeah. But they don't say fucked up. They say, "Oh, that's something." Mm. How about that?
0: Interesting, yeah. right? Right. They just try to look the other way and pretend like they didn't hear it. Yeah. Yeah. It was yes. just always
1: where I felt good and comfortable, and that was my family. I have a chosen family.
0: Yeah. So, you know, '03. You hear. You get the word. You're in Denver. What happens next?
1: Uh. <laughs> Like any true punk rocker in red lipstick, I write the flight information on my mirror because that's what us ladies do. (laughs) Uh,
0: (laughs) Great, great visual
1: for you at home. Like, I I remember I lived in a 250 square foot studio apartment. I had a couch, a kitchenette, a toilet, and a very small shower. That was my life. It was a dollar a square foot. That's why I could afford it. Um, And it is (laughs) now that same 250 square foot studio is like $1,100. Yeah it's bananas. I just was there a couple months ago. But yeah, I was there. I was sleeping on my couch because that was my bed. And when I got I just wrote my information on the mirror and I I flew home. And then when I flew home, it took me 2 days to get my friend Joe who was staying with my mom to tell me how she died because nobody wanted to tell me. It was so embarrassing and it was so stigmatized still mm-hmm. just to like tell people in the family how it happened. So, um he told me and then I asked him how because for some reason in my brain I just I, I couldn't figure out like what she did because I knew she died in the house and I was now staying in the house but there was like no clue like she laid out her work clothes for the next day and her jewelry and all this stuff and I know that's not abnormal but when you don't even know what happened to your parent or what happened to him like a very traumatic situation it kind of weirds you out like did this really happen or am I like fucking dreaming right now So, he ended up telling me how later, which um, is my own business. Um, I don't think that that needs to be shared. Uh, But, yeah, then I helped plan a funeral, and then I took over the house, so I moved back from Denver, and suddenly I had a mortgage and utility bills, plus my car payment, car insurance, things that I I mean, I went from $250 a month for my rent and my car payment, car insurance, and I think I was paying like 40 bucks a month for my phone to $1,100 home payment, yeah. plus utilities, plus my car, plus the insurance, plus taxes, plus all of these other things, I was 20. So, I mean, I got my job back. I was working as a receptionist at Eternal in Livonia. I got that back, and I started working at the pool hall I was working out again, and I just got shit done. I just kept going.
0: Yeah, it's it's tough when when life things happen, you know, at 21, my my dad decided it wasn't cool to be married anymore. And I had to become an adult pretty quickly, Mm -hmm. a different kind of a thing. But when when a big thing happens, like you're saying, you go from this world in Denver. Yeah. And now all of a sudden you have this to take care of. Yeah. That uh, that is uh, it'll mature you quick.
1: It fucked with my life plan. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was totally! Like, I was like, all right, well, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to make my life here in Denver. I'm going to start working at a bar soon, and then I'm going to become the manager, and then eventually I'm going to save up enough money and get connections, and I'm going to own a bar, and this is going to be the rest of my life. And I was like, I'm going to have the most badass venue nobody's ever going to know. Like, It's going to be fucking awesome. And uh, that did not happen. <laughs> and then on, on like a personal level, I was like, I'll get married at 28, I'll have my first kid at 29, I'll have my second at 30, I will have bought a house when I'm 27. Like These are... I was like, I'm gonna. I mean, I've always been the person who wants to prove people wrong. And that was me being like, you told me I would never be anything. Right. This is my plan. I will succeed. Ah! Yeah. So, and I mean, I'm still doing okay, but. <laughs> Yeah, totally fucked me up. Well, the
0: universe, God, whatever you believe in, Ralph, Mary, whatever your thing is, it has a tendency to putting us where we're supposed to be that we don't even know. Uh We don't even know. And the years following that, some years following that, um, you know, suicide seemed to be around your life a little bit. (laughs) It didn't stop. Yeah.
1: Uh, It's been 16 years since November since my mom died, and I've lost eight friends. So I average one every two years. I haven't actually had one of my friends die in three years, though.
0: I think that's above way, way, way above the national average or yeah. anybody's average.
1: And um, if you if you talk to a lot of people in our community, um, you know the one that you and I know, um, it, we we know a lot of people who OD and who have killed themselves. Those are like, you know, how'd your friend die? Oh, they OD. How'd your friend die? They killed themselves. Those are the top two that I hear, and that I have a lot of mutual losses with a lot of my friends. And it it got to a point um, in 2012 where I had lost five people then in 2012. Four. I'd lost four. And um, I was raising money to do a walk and I did a one-off show called Suck at Suicide. <laughs> and uh, I made some shirts. My husband said make 30, I made 100. So I had I had like seventy left over because my husband was absolutely correct. It's one of like the five times, he's ever been. <laughs> and <laughs> and I started selling them at DIY punk rock shows. And um, people didn't want to talk about it still, even though we had had some similar losses. People still didn't want to talk about it. They were really creeped out. And then Jason Lockwood died in 2012. hmm I remember that. Yep. And then when Lockwood died, I was oh shit. Katie knows about suicide and stuff. Katie talks about this. Katie's comfortable with it. And I had all these shirts left over, and I got invited to do Black Christmas because of Ramona. Um, and from there, it just, like, it rolled. Eventually, you know, it became a nonprofit.
0: Yeah, the the stuff you are doing with uh, Six Feet Over with uh, Suck It Suicide, like, it is so— and I I don't want to say appealing because that's not really the good term, but it is. Like, I was drawn to it just because of the the whole thing, the whole package, the graphics, this, that, and the other thing. And then when I started looking into the message, uh, it it was it was like whew, that's that's amazing because most people don't talk about who's left behind. Yeah. And uh, but I'd how s- many
1: fundraisers have you gone to to raise money for somebody's funeral for their kids after?
0: Yes, yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. And in the skateboard world. I mean, we lost a gentleman named Snarf last year, and it, it, you just don't know. I was reminded of it when you were talking about, you know, your mom's clothes are laid out for the next day. Mm-hmm. Snarf had just did great in a contest, and everybody's like, we saw him cracking up and having a great time Sunday.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Wednesday, we don't have Snarf anymore. Yep. And, and uh, I can't wrap my head around it. I don't, I don't try to wrap my head around it
1: probably fast <laughs> I, I, I,
0: I just don't with any part of my life people they're you're responsible for your own actions at at certain points but with snarf i was blown away like mm-hmm. that one really floored me because we had just been skating and we're cracking up cracking jokes and everything i don't know what was going on in his life mm-hmm. um it, it is it is truly epidemic I think, and the ODs are another thing. You know, I talk about uh, being sober and I talk about recovery, and there's a stigma there. And I tell people, you know what, in recovery, I'd hire people in recovery in a second because they've overcome the biggest thing in the world on the planet.
1: planet." It's so hard. A lot of times you'll see the correlations. Um, There is a correlation between uh, drug use or a lot of drug use, abuse of it, and um, suicide, mental health, uh, suicidal ideologies. Because people self-medicate, like my mom was on lithium for like 20 plus years, but she also drank 1.5 liters of white in a day, every day. That's how she self-medicated. So sometimes the addictions form because people are trying to help themselves cope, mm-hmm. and you know that shit happens. Mm-hmm. So. That's a, a lot of deaths sometimes are questionable to family and friends, like was it intentional or was it accidental, things like that, which mm-hmm. is hard to answer because you can't can't go back in time and figure it out. right. Because a lot of it's in, it, it's either intentional or it's a complete accident. and there's no way to tell a lot of the time.
0: Mm-hmm. So you know you you said you make some t-shirts, you this and that. When mm-hmm. did you decide? That I'm I'm going all in. This needs to be, like, something, like a platform to stand on.
1: Well, okay, so it was a couple of things, and I literally had an aha day. Like, it was just, like, not in a moment. Every hour or so, I would have a thought and be like, oh, shit. Oh, fuck. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, man. And it's all of these clues from all of those years between my mom dying and Jason dying. Like, okay. Nobody said it was okay for me to talk about my mom after she died. Nobody came to me and told me I was a suicide loss survivor. Nobody told me there was a community out there. Nobody told me that it's okay not to tell people how she died. I can say suicide and it's okay, but I don't have to tell them how she died. That's mine to own, and nobody else deserves to hear that unless I want them to. Um, Nobody gave me this entree into this world and told me that it's okay to have the feelings of blame and guilt and shame and being fucking angry as hell. Like, nobody told me that was okay. I was just left. It's not a casserole death. People were just like, oh, this 20-year-old girl has all this shit on her now. But it's fine. Bye. We're going to go now. So, I want to make sure. Sh- I, I was like, well, I could give people an opportunity to, like, know this shit, like, right away. Cool. And then I realized that I had raised money for Jason's funeral and his grandma. Uh, I helped with all that. It wasn't all me. There was a lot of people who put did a lot of fucking shit. But I was a piece of that. But... Should that have to happen every time? Because he wasn't the first one. He was the fourth one that I helped with. So, okay, this is a need. I was lucky. My mom had life insurance. A lot of people don't. Most yeah, don't. Yeah, most don't. And if they do, depending on when they got their policy, there is either a minimal payout, so it's like 10 or 20% of whatever it is, or there's a zero payout for suicide. Right. It's a suicide clause. So there's that. I'm like, OK, so it was like every hour or so I was having these thoughts like, oh, shit, like I could do that. I could do it. And I'm a workaholic and I had just <laughs> I love working like I can't not do stuff. And uh, I had just taken a job about a year and a half before that where I went from working as a restaurant manager, working like 80 hours a week. And I was like, I'm a mom. I could totally uh, this child thing is going to fill my time. And I hated, hated how much time I had. So I was like, oh, I've got all this time on my hands. This is great. I went from doing that to working at a school for like seven hours a day. Easy. <laughs> and uh, I was like, I've got time for this. And then I had people from the mental health community chime in and say, dude, like, your shit looks rad and people are gravitating towards it. And I'm like, well, yeah, because this is the kind of stuff that I like. My friends aren't the friends who are going to go to a church or a community center to find shit out. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who are going to go to a bar and they're going to get information that may not be correct from the guy sitting next to them. Like, Why not make shit that looks cool, go to the places that people who wouldn't go to the, you know, who aren't going to be the ones who show up looking for the help, looking for the information. Just be there drinking a beer with them. Mm -hmm. Why not do that? Why not do it in a casual way? Why not not be clinical? Like, make some rad shit. Make some rad friends. Go have a beer. Talk about mental health. Make it kind of normal-ish. And fucking just do the thing.
0: Yeah, it makes it so much easier. It's so much easier. Not this like sort of intervention kind of thing. It's a casual, educated conversation in a comfortable setting.
1: Yeah, I'm like, you're already comfortable. Mm -hmm. I mean, fuck it. I'm like whiskey in the jar, right? Like, (laughs) fuck it. I'm setting up a table. We're doing this thing. And then people just come up and ask me things or they tell me their story. People tell me about their previous attempts or when they lost somebody or the struggles that they have or what prescriptions they're on. And I'm like, I'm not a doctor, but like, if shit's not working for you, you might want to talk to yours. You know, like, I'm just going to be honest with people and I'm going to tell them the information that I have. And I'm also going to tell them that there hasn't been a whole lot of research on this shit. It's only like 20 or 30 years. So,
0: well, and the stigma, I think you, you said that a few times. Yeah. The, the stigma behind it that, you know, saying, telling somebody it's okay, yes, you can talk about it. You know, your limit is your limit, how much you want to talk about Mm -hmm. it. But it's okay. Let's like you said, sit down, have a cup of coffee, have a beer. Yeah. And talk about it. Yeah. And and however you want to handle that. I find that in the recovery community quite a bit. You know, people reach out to me privately and they say, you know, Uh, Gerald, I don't want you to tell anybody, but I wanted to talk to you about this thing. And I'm like, that's cool. Let's meet in the park. We'll shoot Mm -hmm. the breeze. And I'm pretty open and honest. Yeah. About what I've been through. And then they get more comfortable, like what you're saying, you know, let's talk about this.
1: Yeah. It's funny because I will sometimes start a conversation with somebody to make, like, to to throw them off guard immediately. So that way I can catch them and pull them back up. Kind of like the military. I'm going to tear you down. I'm going to build you back up. But, Conversations where it's like, um, "How'd you lose your mom? She killed herself. Immediately. I don't beat her on the bush. I used to, and it would actually freak people out more because I just it was like twisted jokes. Like, "What happened to your mom? Oh, she moved. Where to? Really far away. Oh, really? Where? She lives in a high rise. Okay. Like, I was just like, I would just keep on building and building and building. Or like, "What'd you get your mom for Mother's Day? Lotion, because she's real ashy. Like." I would just say the most fucked up shit because it made me feel a little bit better, but I don't want to make them feel awkward. Now I'm just like, she killed herself. Yeah. There you go. And then as soon as they're like, oh like they don't know how to respond to that. I'm like, but that's okay, I'm fine. Like, you have any questions?
0: <laughs> and see, that's a tough one. Like I'm sure most people are off guard because they're gonna ease they're gonna pull back into themselves and say, yeah. oh, I'm sorry to hear
1: that. You say cancer and people are like, Oh, I'm so sorry. You say suicide and people are like uh oh. 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 Like, they don't, it's not that they're grossed out or anything, they just have no idea how to respond to it. Like, do you say I'm sorry? Do you say, like, what do you say? Right, right.
0: I'm just yeah, it is it's an uncomfortable subject in most settings,
1: yeah, so and we're boobs, we have football players wearing pink, so oh,
0: right, and that's what I was just gonna say. Yeah. you know, making it a little more comfortable to talk about, a little bit more okay to talk mm-hmm. about, to remove the stigma. I had a gentleman on the show, and he speaks for Nami and trying oh, to yeah. get over that stigma of mental yeah. uh, a mental health issue and dude is phenomenal i mean all smiles all the time and when he told his story here i was like in freaking tears like i'm like i had no clue, Kyle, yeah. that you had been through all of this, suicide being part of that path mm-hmm. and it is making it okay Letting people know it's okay to discuss it, yeah. to talk about it. Not that I'm going to stand on the top of a a, a giant high-rise and tell everybody I used to be an alcoholic or I'm in recovery or whatever. You could,
1: and I would clap for you. I totally could. <laughs> I would be like, yeah, you tell them. And I'm confident <laughs> enough today in my own
0: skin to do that. Right. But it's it's making it okay to sit down and talk with people. Yeah and And that I commend you for. Oh, Thanks. Uh, it is phenomenal I have to, what, I'm
1: what not you're saying doing. it's all me, but I have seen a huge turnaround in our community in general. just the way that they talk to each other. Like today, I got a text message from another person who was text messaged by somebody else. I'm not gonna like name names, but you know at least one of these people. and uh, they were it was because they were concerned about somebody else that we all knew, and they wanted me to check on them. That would not have happened seven years ago. Somebody would have been like, oh, yeah, he's fucked up. But I don't know where he is. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, when
0: people know, when yeah, people they have know. Yeah. I had a similar call a couple months ago from a friend. And if I had never spoken about my journey, my what I had been through over the mm-hmm. last handful of years... He would have never made that call. And he said, you know, our friend out in Lansing isn't answering the phone. He isn't doing good. And I said, I'll be out there Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. And I was. And he was doing good. I mean, dude smoked heroin right in front of me. And I saw the walls kicked in. And I said... You know, it's your choice, buddy. Yeah. I just come out here to tell you there is hope. Yeah. There is hope. And I'm living proof that there's yeah. hope. And like, that's sometimes all people need to hear.
1: Yeah. And with both with both aspects, like with addiction and with uh, people who deal with like, suicidal thoughts or like chronic mental health concerns, it can seem pretty damn hopeless. Mm-hmm. Like, this is going to last forever. I'm not going to be able to get out of it. I don't know what to do. I feel stuck. I feel like a burden. There's all of the same feelings involved with both of them. And... Access to care isn't great for either one. So, I'm still working on getting resources for a friend of mine who's got very specific criteria and things. He asked me for help three weeks ago, and I'm still trying to find something for him. And it's a little bit of both in that context like a little bit of addiction, a little bit of mental health, and they mix together. And I'm trying to find something for him. We just don't, there isn't a great plan yet. There's not great systems in place, which fucking
0: sucks. But at least he reached out and you're aware of it. You're trying to help. Oh,
1: yeah. Like, I went straight to the top of a few organizations. Like, I pulled all the strings. I'm still trying to find some shit.
0: Well, the worst is when people want help and they can't get it. And yeah. then they real, And then, in and then head- it's even
1: more like frustrating. <laughs> yeah,
0: hopeless. I, yeah. I reached out and nobody wants to yep. do a darn thing. I'm on this island by myself. Yep.
1: I did what everybody told me to do and I got nothing from it. Mm-hmm. So, like, what kind of message are we actually sending people?
0: Right. Yeah. Right. It, it it it's crazy. It's, uh, so yeah. I'm sitting here with Katie Hardy, and if you want to check out more, you can go to sixfeetover.org, I Correct. believe, and um, and you can browse that while you're listening to this awesome show. If you are just tuning in, uh, when it's done, rewind. The first <laughs> half hour, the first half hour is. Awesome, And I'll say it because I think it was awesome.
1: Oh, no, it's dope. This is great. <laughs> and, uh,
0: and so we're moving into the next uh, half of the show. Um, you know, when you started this, we never uh, think of... Uh, I don't think, anyway. I can't say we, because I can't speak for anybody else. But when you when you start things like this, like I, I, I started a skate park thing, and Just when don't. other people start recognizing you, it's a little bit uncomfortable. It's real creepy. Um, <laughs> and you've been recognized by by quite a few. I think my personal uh, favorite, I have it right here, This 2017 American Association of Suicidology Lost Survivor of the Year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I had to do like a speech
1: and everything. I cried.
0: It just seems strange. Like that had to be a little bit uncomfortable, a little weird. How was that?
1: Well, okay. So here's a fun fact. You know how like you have your skateboard community and you guys are all friends and stuff. Um, It's the same with what I found with like funeral directors. They're like, yeah, they are all. A lot of them are friends and like they party hard. I've seen it with my (laughs) with my own eyes. They get down.
0: Only here on the drop yeah, in. Do no, you hear I've, this?
1: I've, I snuck into a funeral director uh, convention four years ago because I wanted to make connections to get <laughs> discounts for funerals and things, and uh, so I snuck in. I took a badge, and and <laughs> give a fuck. I will do what I need to do for my people. I like it. So I did that, but like I saw them at party, and there was bananas. Anywho, I digress. Um, <laughs> there, I am in a field that is called suicidology. And because it's so nuanced and it's very specific, most of us know each other and we're all really, really fucking weird. So um, because, like, we love talking about suicide. We love talking about mental health. We love talking about all the things that makes everybody else on the planet super uncomfortable. You get
0: it's no different than being at. you know, a crazy physics convention, oh, and they're yeah. talking about, like, quantum physics and the double slit theory. Yeah. I mean, it's no, not that much. That
1: sounds sexual, but okay.
0: It, not at all. <laughs> not at all. I can't get into the subatomic. That's a whole nother show. Yeah. But, um, you know, it even yeah. though it's an uncomfortable subject in the, the for the layman, you know, when yeah. you get all these people together.
1: Oh, it's great. It's it's, it's great because I can't just openly discuss theory and research with a lot of other people who already know about it. I I think I've, I've amassed a collection of friends around the Detroit and Michigan area that are all in the field. But when you get people from Louisiana, New York, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Colorado, California, like all the states together, and we can just talk about it and talk about all of our different programs and what's working and what's not and the research and this and that it's rad and they have become another family to me super grateful so when i did that speech i started crying not because uh not because i won but because i was surrounded by the people who helped me get to the point where i could get an award like that where i could be recognized nationally it was because of the insight and direction and help and support of those people who were like no you you don't have a college education You have an experience, and you have insight into communities, and you understand how people think and what isn't there already. So we support you, and you're doing rad shit. And I was like, fuck yeah, Ph.D., lady. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) And you have a drive and a passion. And, yeah. and, and 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 you want it to be okay to have a voice on a national level, where again the the stigma. I'm going to keep bringing that word mm-hmm. up because that's oh, huge. Uh, you know that's what we're trying to get away from. Make it okay and and be okay to to approach somebody and say I need to talk about this like now, and mm-hmm. them not run the other way and go I don't want to. Oh, that's yeah. great. I'll talk to you later. Yeah, you know, your
1: lipstick looks fantastic. I'm going to go get a beer. Like it's yeah right right.
0: <laughs> and and you brought up you know people from different. regions people from California, from here, from there, yeah. do you see regionally, like, a certain demographic being more prone to suicide in the Midwest versus the West Coast?
1: Well, I don't—2019 I, I, stats, I think, just came out a couple months ago, so I'll have to, like, look them back over. And the that stats— stuff change all the time. But um, I know that when it comes to ethnicities and age, specifically— white men over 50 have the highest suicide rate. Wow. Um, Oh, there's their logo. Uh, That being said... I don't necessarily think that we need to focus on having access to care for white men over 50. <laughs> I, I think that there's a lot of groups that need a lot more help. I haven't lost a single white man over 50, and I've lost eight people. That doesn't mean that other people have not. I know people who have lost all of their uncles and their grandpa. Mm-hmm. I know. I mean, it's a thing that happens, um, but we really need to look at how we're training and how we're teaching the people right now who aren't 50 and these subcultures that aren't getting enough attention
0: what i hear most of the time in in our circle cuz i'm you know i'm i'm like the og in the skateboard community but the younger skateboarders it's it's like you know that 20 to 30 age bracket mm-hmm. where they're they're maybe dabbling in a little bit of partying. They don't have a problem, but they're doing what 20 to 30-year-olds do, mm-hmm. and there might be something else. I have to comment right now on this picture that <laughs> our viewers are seeing because I, I know him. Sean Addison, and I think the world of this dude, and I'm going to tell him to watch the show because I've seen him in so many cool places, and he's always, always lifting the people up around him. So I was stoked to see this picture on your website.
1: Yeah, I think I... It only took me five minutes to convince him. I was like, "Sean, be in my pictures." And he was like, "Like, what do I have to do?" I'm like, "Just stand and like smile." He's like, oh, "Okay."
0: And he has an infectious <laughs> yeah. smile. He
1: does. It's so beautiful. Yeah. He, it's so beautiful. Like as soon as you feel, like you feel it, you feel his smile. You don't see it.
0: Yes, a hundred percent. I was stoked to see that because I couldn't think of a better representative of positivity and just yeah. a cool, hardworking, passionate person. Oh yeah,
1: he's actually a big reason. Um, the first time I talked to him is before we were even a thing. There was a fundraiser for Jason's grandma at the Plex, And like Downtown Brown played. It was rad. It was a great show. I don't remember who else played. I just remember that for some reason. I know that a lot of my friends got naked. I don't know why. <laughs> um, that's what happens. <laughs> that, that shit happens. Especially at Plex. <laughs> yeah. Who knows what's going to happen there? Yeah. It's a mystery. Uh, but Sean came up and talked to me there. It was where That was the day that I met him. Like, I I can remember the exact moment that I met him and he was just talking about what was going on with him and stuff. And the stuff that was coming out of his mind, like, his mouth was blowing my mind. And I have actually taken things that he's said to a national level and and brought this to people in very large, high up positions and been like, So, this shit's happening. Mm -hmm. Your thoughts, please. Because you have control over this, you've got power. So, what can we do? And usually it's just blank stares. And I'm like, I'm going to come at you like every six months about this. And I have. I don't shut up. I'm feisty as fuck.
0: I like it. I like it. But you have to be. Mm -hmm. You have to be in certain arenas. I think you have to be. And especially with something that isn't being discussed, you have to be. In your face mm-hmm. to be heard. Um, I, I was stoked to hear uh, that there are there are organizations, there are national organizations, there's people that you're working with from all over the country. Yeah. Now, uh, with six feet over, um, you know, you're uh, the focus of six feet over is the survivors. What do you do then? Um, I mean, it's everything, but that's that's the crux of it. Are there other organizations around the country that are helping people, the survivors? Who's left? Yeah. Because I had never heard of one
1: Yeah, until I, know.
0: I started looking into what you're doing. I'm like, are there others out there? Because that's, that's pretty unique.
1: I lived as one for five or six years before I found out that was the name for what I was. Um, so there's other organizations... All across the country that help survivors of loss, and they do things for survivors of loss. So there's the AFSP, which is the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. They're a national organization. They, their thing like is research. Um, they're like in in the in terms of size and clout, I guess they're like the Susan G. Coleman of suicide. And mental health, so they're huge. And then there's NAMI. They do a bunch of stuff. So you can find lost survivor support groups everywhere. I went to one and I hated it, but I was 20. Like I've I've felicit- felicitated, but I've facilitated some. I've helped. I've done work groups and stuff. But um, when I was 20, it wasn't for me because it was a bunch of like 40, 50 year olds talking about their 401ks and yard work, and I was like a punk rocker. Um, so they're not for everybody. But we're gonna try to create our own that are made for my kind of people. Um, but there is, there's a lot of support groups. There's a lot of number your loved one and give them dignity, which is needed. We are the only nonprofit in the U.S. who specifically helps law survivors with financial needs after a loss. That's a shame that you say you don't have the money.
0: You probably have to jump through crazy hoops, which I've seen every world. Mm-hmm. There's a gentleman in Ohio. He lost like two uncles and a son, and he came home, took all his money, and bought a hotel a giant hotel, and he was trying to make a recovery.
1: Like a sober living environment? Completely. and yeah. It was
0: a rad hotel. I went down there and spoke, and what was it? He can't, he's broke. He spent like $10 million. He was a high-end lawyer in like L.A. Wow. And he spent his whole, everything he had. I and have he never was, had that, so that's but, cool. But he's just <laughs> tapped out. Yeah. And I said, what's going on? He's like, we might, we might, in the le- next six months, um, Get some insurances that'll okay this and he's trying so hard to help people But he cannot get like the the masses to say yeah, we want to it's okay And I'm sure you run into similar kinds of things with what you're doing.
1: Yeah um, Fought there for mental health and suicide prevention. They're geared towards kids or bullying specifically or occasional like support groups, crisis lines, and because we're the only in a pre-made grant for what we do, uh, so it, it's it's been really difficult to try to find that little niche. Also, grants can be a pain in the fucking ass. Mm-hmm. So for those, are all of the data on it, and we have no paid employees, so that'd be me again, like doing all of that plus the day to day, and I already work eighty hours a week. So is that five grand really worth it for them? More useful for me to do. Five more shows and get $5,000 doing five more shows where I can reach more people that way, that makes more sense to me than just telling some people who want to feel good about themselves who gave us some money. Now, there are grants that are out there that are fan-need this money. It's not to make us feel good about ourselves. Um, And, you know, they really are champions for suicide prevention and, and just getting rid of the stigma and being able to talk about it and helping people. And that's what we really are looking for when we look for a grant.
0: If somebody is watching our show right now and they need to talk to somebody like right now, what do they do?
1: Uh, <clears throat> you have so many options. So it may not seem like it, but you do. So the the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, they are 24 hours. It's free. It's confidential. I'm going to dispel some myths real quick. One, if you say that you're suicidal, they don't just call the cops on you and haul you away to a hospital. That's, that's not policy. The policy is try to work with you to try to get you to a safe space in your mind and in your person. If for some reason somebody's like, I'm going to die right now, you know, if they are dead serious, it's happening, there's nothing anybody else can do about it, that's when they'll probably call somebody to help you. Otherwise, you can go and talk to them about your suicidal thoughts and feelings, and they're just going to try to work with you um and those are actually local crisis lines the NSPL has zero actual crisis lines that are their own it's a network that they have with local crisis lines so you'll be talking to the whatever your area code is it's going to send you to the closest crisis line that would be associated with your area code um, so even like if you live in California but you have a 734 area code it's going to send you to one in Wayne County just because they that's how they Work it. Then there's the crisis text line. So if you were to text SIS to 741741, that has over 3,000 volunteers uh, 24 hours a day. And um, by using SIS as the keyword, we get some data from that. And I know that can freak people out, but I want to know who we're getting already and who we're good with. Like, I'm, we're doing an ample amount of, of time with that community. But look at this other community that isn't using this so much. We can definitely go into those communities more and give them more support. That tells us immediately, like every year, where we need to focus more attention. So that's actually really helpful. But also, that's texting. So you can do that literally fucking anywhere.
0: Yep, yep. And um, if if people who are watching here uh, or anywhere, if they want to see what you're doing, uh, see where the next event you're going to be. Is it social media? Is it through Facebook, Instagram, those kinds of things yeah. that they can see that stuff? Because I've seen you guys a lot of different <laughs> places. Heck, Black Christmas might have been where I bought the Six Feet Over Probably. sticker. Probably. If I you're mean, talking about you're,
1: that long one, we don't even make that shit anymore.
0: And I, I forgot I even had it, honestly, like because I see my shirts and I have my buttons on my jackets. But I was walking through my back room. And I'm like, I have a big sticker across the top of my <laughs> fridge. They've had a huge impact on my life. Yeah. And um, yeah. and so if people want to see maybe where you're going to set up next or, or. Yeah,
1: we try to post this stuff. It's Again, we don't have any employees. And we've got like just this past month, I think we did. We were involved in or at 15 events. Wow. So we did like DIY, Dally, Hamtramck Labor Day Fest. We were at two events that we couldn't go to on two separate weekends um like we're always places and like If you want us to come to you, let us know.
0: Yeah, and online, you can check them out online at sixfeetover.org. These shirts are for sale. You can get buttons, stickers, some super cool stuff to help support uh, what what we're doing here. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, with this show, for sure, I I highly doubt people get to hear your story that much. Uh,
1: Yeah, generally, it's just a bunch of professionals or like a loss survivor day where I end up telling my story a whole lot.
0: So he or anybody interested in why <laughs> you do what you do, they can tune into the drop in and check it out. Because I think that I think people knowing your story mm-hmm. and understand why you work 175 hours a day <laughs> to make things happen it 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 it, it quantifies it it puts a little bit more that you have a vested interest a personal interest to help people
1: i just don't want anybody to feel how i felt after my mom died or after jason died or after any of my friends died and people deserve dignity the ones who've we've lost and the people still living everybody deserves better than what we're they're getting
0: yeah yeah (laughs) i'm sitting here with katie hardy and i'll tell you what she was like, under-promise, over-deliver. You build it up too much. <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We touch some some subjects that most people have to have their kid gloves on to talk about, and we're going to make it okay and, and remove the stigma of suicide and, and work on suicide prevention. Make it okay so that you can talk about it and not feel uncomfortable so hopefully we don't have to Katie doesn't have to work on your freaking funeral that yeah. it, it would be okay before that to talk about it uh, again can you tell our viewers the website the social media all those handles
1: uh, okay so we're at It suicide on most social media as well as at six feet over six feet over should be spelled out for social media um, but Suck It Suicide is our program. That's the one that you'll see out on the street and doing all the community outreach that way and has like all of our merch. Most of it has Suck It Suicide on it. Uh, all of that stuff, it's all Facebook, Instagram, the Twitter face, all that jazz. We have both. Um, Suck It Suicide is probably more popular, so we post a lot cooler shit on there. Not going to lie, like it's we do add pops of humor here and there. The Instagram is mostly me just doing dumb shit. Um, (laughs) That's literally all it is. And then, uh, yeah, our website has opportunities for you to find resources, buy merch if you want to. We don't have everything up there, but there's stuff available.
0: I love it. I love it. Katie, thank you so much for coming on the show. You are welcome here anytime. Don't test me. Anytime, <laughs> you are welcome here. You know, th- show up. Yeah, hey, you said I could. You would be welcome.
1: <laughs> and for you
0: guys, man, you know, uh, Katie is living proof that if you want to make a difference, if you wanna, uh, you're affected by something, and you realize I had nowhere to go, I want to give people a place to go. You can do it. You grab the bull by the horns and you go and do it. And the support that has come out, I. I love it. I love it. And you will realize that there are more people that feel like you that talk like you that look like you Maybe they don't uh, have a fetish for dead animals that they're built burying But there's somebody that can relate to what you're going through no matter what it is and you will find it So remember that going away from this show check out six feet over go check out suck It suicide And let's just continue to inspire the world to live the best possible life we can. This isn't a dress rehearsal. You get one shot. I am Gerald Valley and this is The Drop-In.